0: Greetings and welcome to the In the Finest Hour Crosstalk episode with your good host Shailen Allen. I am joined in the studio today with Eleanor Beiler once again.
1: Hi,
2: Eleanor here.
0: It's really good to have you back. Happy to be here. <laughs> Today's subject is we are talking about running your first RTT. If you're someone who's decided, okay, you know what, I'm gonna TL, I'm gonna start the community in my area or com- support your community when another TO has to step down. So there's a lot of complexity to that situation. And Eleanor, why don't you start with what's inspiring you to start running tournaments?
2: So I think we have... So I live in Canberra, Australia. It's a smallish town, maybe 200,000 people. Um, it's the capital of Australia. And we have a pretty big Warhammer community here for the size of the city. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a couple of... GW doors in the area and a local game store jolt which hosts stuff like slow grow leagues and more narrative style events and Mm -hmm. i would say that we have lots of people in the area who are willing to come to weekend tournaments and weekly slow grow league events Mm -hmm. and in the past we had people uh two people who worked for jolt that sort of split their time running tournaments that were more casual and then official ITC um, events. Yeah. But in the last six to eight months, the person running the official ITC tournaments had to step down. And there's just been a lack of competitive one-day tournaments in the area. And so that's when my partner Oliver and I decided to, why not? Mm-hmm. We would love to see These events happening again. And if it requires one of us not participating and T.O.ing instead, that's okay.
0: Yeah. So for my own personal context is I'm the head T.O. of the Razor Valley Tournament Series. We do charity events out of Corvallis, Oregon, which is a town of 50,000 people and is much noticeably smaller than the numbers she was just saying. Sean is my co-TO there, and basically all he does is answer rules, questions, and I do all the rest of the work, because that's how this works. Admittedly, he's not at hours where he can coordinate with people, so that, that affects that. Mr. Works Night shifts.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I've been doing that on and off, and my new job kind of put a wrench in my ability to do it, but I'm starting it back up again, so that's that's exciting. We don't have a super huge community here, because we're not that big a space, but we do have a university which helps attract a certain kind of nerdy gaming type.
2: Got a similar thing going on here in Canberra.
0: Yeah. We had a little aside before this all started where uh, Eleanor was mentioning there was um, issues with the store and stuff. Do you want to bring those up, and we can kind of figure out how to get around it?
2: Yeah. Common to lots of places in Canberra. Weekend hours at the game store are... Brief, so it opens at 10 a.m. and it closes at 7 p.m. And so that really restricts the length of rounds that you could possibly have in a single day tournament. Yeah. And so specifically for a three tournament, sorry, three game RTT, that means that we can only really do two and a half hour rounds and that leaves a half an hour for lunch and a 10 minute break in between the second and the third round. Yeah. And having gone to these events in the past, it's extremely, extremely uh, tight in terms of making it to your next game, packing up all your stuff, going to the bathroom. Mm. It's a lot.
0: (laughs) So I I know in the United States here we have uh, spaces like the Elks Lodges, which do a lot of charity stuff, Um, community halls and the like. Have you considered moving the venue?
1: We have
2: not, mostly because we had this established space. The tables are superb. The game store itself has a ton of terrain, enough to you know, fully populate all about 12 tables. Mm-hmm. And the tables are a good height. I personally am a fan of nice tall tables so that you're not constantly crouched over hurting your back. Yeah, And they have a lot of the infrastructure built in for taking tickets and all of that. Okay. Plus, they do really great uh, prize support. Okay, yeah. Everybody pays $25 for getting in, and then all of the participants, or sorry, all of the placing participants plus the door prize get substantial um, gift cards to spend at the game store.
0: Okay. So, that seems pretty effective. And I understand from the business perspective, you don't really want to have to come in early and leave late. But you're not asking them to do it every night, you're asking them to do it maybe once a month.
2: I think they might be amenable to it in the future, but especially since this is the first one that Oliver and I would be running, mm-hmm. I think the idea is to, to keep things straight and narrow. If there is reason to open up early or do pre-registrations or something like that, they would consider it yeah. an event to basis.
0: Yeah. Here is uh, a suggestion you can have with them, because when you set up your event in the Best Coast Pairings app, you can have it pre register tickets online hmm. and you can actually hook up their account and their system to it oh. if they have access to an apple device because i really you need an apple device to run the bcpto app the android version is a piece of shit
2: i noticed that
0: <laughs> if you can find someone in the community that has an ipad they're willing to use or maybe the store has access to one talk to them explain how the app works 'Cause it would be good if you came to them with an Apple version to show them like here we can create an account for you that's hooked up to your money and then you can pre register and see how many people are actually just coming and how quickly the tail tickets sell when we start advertising the event and such. I do advise on your very first tournament one of you doesn't participate and does all the TOing because you've never to before and there's a learning curve there. So you don't need to be trying to play games at the same time.
2: Yeah. No, I don't think at any event we would have the person who's toing directly play.
0: Now, after about the third event or so, I just started playing at my own events because I could. That seems fair. Mostly, uh, a lot of the busy work I did is I had someone basically put all the scores into the system, and when I didn't do that, it would basically be like, So there's going to be a delay at the end of the tournament when I throw the scores into the system and then we calculate who our overall winner is because that's a prize we offered. Oh, speaking of that, I do have a painting rubric if you're interested.
2: Oh, I've never ventured into hobby scores. Uh, I don't even think I've participated in a a tournament where that's done in BCP, so... Hmm.
0: I don't run my hobby scores through BCP. They, They admittedly just made an update where it's noticeably easier to do all that. It worked. That was the previous version was functional, but actually a genuine piece of crap. (laughs) And even BCP knew it was a piece of crap when they were working on it, so I should tell you a lot. (laughs) Apparently it's better now. I have no idea. The reason we do a paint score is to encourage people to paint their armies. And if you have any gray plastic, you're disqualified from a painting score. Also, if you don't meet the three-color minimum that's standard at most ITC events of, like, all right, you got primer and two contrast colors, go. Basically, like, all right, you can do that. As I said, I got a rubric. It's very well-liked by people who've used it. So, I mean, I did the work. I have an art degree of making the rubrics, so you can just use that. That
2: sounds like a lot of fun.
0: That's usually what people do for painting rubrics is, like, they either steal someone else's or make up their own in my case, but... I'm not most people.
2: Yeah, that would be awesome to have access to. I think the players would really enjoy that.
0: And the other soft score, well, we do two other soft scores, but uh, the other one we do is sportsmanship, and we've got a little questionnaire we have people fill out that has five questions on it that's basically like, did your opponent bring all their stuff? Were they timely? Because we break down sportsmanship into legitimate, like concrete things that are a lot easier to judge.
2: And when you say bring other stuff, what does that mean?
0: Here, give, give me uh, a second.
2: Um, I wasn't sure if it was like list printouts or...
0: So it's... Did you bring your necessary materials to play is the actual question. So it's like printed army lists, dice, templates, rule books, etc. Hmm. So it's like, if you show up and you forgot your dice and you forgot your measuring tape and you forgot your rule books...
2: And you're constantly borrowing your opponent's measuring tape.
0: And the only thing you remembered was your phone with BCP on it. You'd probably get a no for that because it's like you're missing a lot of materials to play. Because you have to, like, bum all this stuff off your opponent, and that's inconvenient.
2: Coming to class without a pencil.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's why we have five yes or no questions, because we basically broke up the idea of sportsmanship into five overall things. And the last one is, did you enjoy playing your opponent? Would you play them again?
2: That's a nice way to phrase it. Instead of a, a thumbs up, thumbs down, I think, can right. feel a little bit too. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And uh, and one of the, the questions is, like, did they settle disputes in an amicable way, right? Did things get heated if you had to deal with that?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We just count that one as a yes if there wasn't a dispute to begin with, because that's obviously having a good game. And then at the end of the tournament, you write down your favorite opponent of the three you played. And basically... If someone scores 100% on the five questions for their opponent, they get into the sportsmanship running, and then we just go to votes afterwards to tiebreak. And that just encourages a certain kind of behavior. This was pre-code of conduct and stuff, and you can just say, hey, we're using the code of conduct here, which is really simple and sets mental expectations for how you should be behaving. But So the idea of a sportsmanship prize did encourage people to play nicely. Yep, I agree. You don't have to do that. Um, but the painting scores will definitely encourage the hobby aspect of it. And you want people to enjoy all aspects of the game. And if you have someone who's designated TOing, they can enter this individual can enter in scores between rounds because you take the sportsmanship questionnaire at the end of each round and enter it in. I also have a lovely little Excel sheet that I programmed that I could also send you if you just want the whole tournament package.
2: <laughs> wow, I feel so honored.
0: <laughs> she does the whole thing. So that's a thing I do, um, and very specifically is we built our painting thing with ITC points in mind,
2: in the sense that like the score easily adds up to forty or, or forty-two, whatever it is. Or
0: well, actually, the score adds up to ninety because three rounds usually players earn about thirty-ish points. Um, and then we add an additional 10 points per round, uh, for actually winning in our overall weighting. And what happens when you, when you dunk all that in is it basically lets us do the percentage weights built in. I see. For determining a best overall, because we have a best overall prize. Now, you don't have to go that far in. That might be more appropriate for a GT experience. Uh, but it's just a, it's just a thought. Like you can say, Hey, I've got this painting rubric. Do you guys want to use it?
2: Yeah. I think it's also good to keep in the back of my mind for future events. Even if it doesn't get implemented in this first one, I anticipate there are improvements you can make Mm -hmm. every tournament.
0: Yeah. So the painting one's pretty cool. You could see if the, if the shop's willing to support a painting prize, because usually they either support a painting prize or they support kind of a grab door prize thing. So you, you can ask them about that specifically. Basically, deter. Make sure you're in contact with your store about the amount of prize support you're getting.
2: Makes sense. Yeah, I feel like we've really lucked into an easy organizational situation just because the person before us had been running uh, very yeah oh, I don't know clean events frequently. People know what to expect.
0: You should ask the store very politely if you could get in like 15 minutes early to at least start setting up the tables and the like. Usually that's something, they're they're already in the store setting it up for opening. It's just letting you guys in to turn on the tables and stuff. That's a very small thing, and I suspect they'd be okay-ish with that. Noted. Just basically like, hey, we need to set up the tables because we're on a tight schedule, or can we set them up the night before? Go in like about 15 minutes before closing and set up the tables. It's a good idea. Right. Because that's really simple, and I think they'll really appreciate that because it's like, hey, we're trying to save you guys as much time as possible. Um, we're happy to come in. I presume you're doing this on Saturday, like most people. Yeah. On Sunday, if they're open right away and like take down the tournament if they want to kick you guys out at a really hard time, or can I stay 15 minutes after and take down the tournament? A, a thing we do personally is we hold a uh, prize... Prizes and prize announcements hostage until the tables are put away. Because hmm. it's a lot easier when you have each player, like, okay, when you finish your game in this final round, put your table away.
2: Yeah. That's a good point.
0: Yeah. It, it turns out when you have all the players doing it, like, two people putting down a table takes less than 10 seconds if they're determined.
2: Distribution of work is your friend.
0: Yeah, no, and you can tell people, hey, this is our first time doing this. Here are some expectations to have, because fair warning helps people understand. What you're trying to do is cater to the competitive crowd. So you're like, all right, we're running this ITC event. We have not done this before, but we're just running it all straight standard ITC. There's nothing fancy here. This is all what you see is what you get with the ITC package.
2: Well, so that part, I guess that brings me to the next Thing that maybe I'm trying out for this tournament. So this, uh-huh. we have a community of people that I think is thirsty for competitive Warhammer. The response to the event already has been very positive,
1: uh-huh.
2: but a lot of the players aren't playing the ITC missions regularly. And with these two and a half hour rounds instead of the more standard three hour round uh-huh. and the minimal time in between rounds, it I think limits the number of rounds that usually get played the top tables. I think Uh most of the time that people are, are quite cognizant of the time and getting to turn six, but often the mid tables and low tables, they're getting through like turn three, maybe. And so to mitigate that and to maximize the time that's actually spent playing the game as it's to be, Uh I thought of a way of, Trying to minimize the setup time, which I think can be lengthy if you're not super familiar and you're not using the muscle memory to, mm-hmm. oh, I rolled a six for a deployment. I know that is search and just, dist- or not search and destroy, Vanguard strike or whatever. Yeah. Um, and you don't have those numbers memorized and you have to open your book. The way I would like to try at least maybe this first tournament is doing simplified deployment wherein
0: where you just set all the deployments. There's no.
2: Yes, fixed deployment. So round one is Dawn of War, round two is Hammer and Anvil, and then using the modified...
0: Vanguard, because that's like the ones from 7th edition, everyone should know those by now.
2: Vanguard is a good one. And then the deployment, instead of alternating back and forth, which I think I have... I like both types of deployment. Yeah, I think they're both great, but noticeably takes a lot longer to alternate. And so doing the all at once deploying method from the chapter approved missions, I think will help cut down. Yeah. And so I'm hoping those two, those two changes, just the fixed deployment maps and the full on deployment all at once
1: will at least.
0: So I don't, I don't know if you're aware of this when they updated the ITC missions for this season, One of the things they did was, uh, I think every other mission does exactly that.
2: Yes, the even mission, so 2, 4, and 6.
0: So just run 2, 4, and 6 as book.
2: Yes. (laughs) Yes. But then I think, you know, you get into the...
0: Because that is is part of the ITC experience, and then you haven't done anything fancy. A big thing I'm going to recommend for you is dropping the points from 2,000 to 1,500. Just physically smaller armies do take less time to play, And what that's going to do is probably buy you a turn, maybe two on average per game. So rather than finishing turn three-ish, you're looking at finishing turn four or five-ish, and that's more of a legitimate game.
2: I 100% believe that, but I think we have, because the community has this source of more casual games, the casual games end up being sort of all point levels. And people really want to test their 2,000 point lists at these ITC or the competitive tournaments. And yeah, I think we would get pushback if we change the total point level.
0: How's about you put out a poll to the people interested in the event and saying, Hey, we'd like to run 1500 points so people can have better time to finish their rounds. Are people okay with this? And just say like this, this is our first time doing this and we want to like really make sure. And you can explain, like, hey, we got to run a really good event so that the store is willing to maybe buy us time and such. So do you mind dropping to 1,500 points so we can get rounds done more timely? That's literally all you're saying, and you're explaining it from that situation. Like, yes, we want to run 2,000 points, but we need to get the store to be willing to be open, like, another hour for us. So could could we work on this? I would also talk to the store about bringing in food, because so, that does two things for providing food for the lunch. Is First is, it saves your players time trying to find food.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really awesome idea Um, that I have noticed in particular, the the people that will go over to the cafe across the street, Mm -hmm. they're coming back in like five minutes late into the second round.
0: Yeah, that's item one. Item two is, food is a basic need, so when you're providing a basic need, people already like your event on a kind of primal level. (laughs) it's it's total psychology and it might not be considered fair to some people but it really does give your event an overall positive tint they can't escape from they're gonna feel like they had a good time and the thing i do when we share space with people is i offer to also provide that person who's providing me the space food as well
1: yeah
0: it's like there's no reason i can't feed you too you're giving me the space i will buy you food I like pizza, because pizzas are great for feeding a lot of people at once pretty cheaply.
2: Yeah, and people know whether or not pizza is on their can eat list or not, usually.
0: Yes, people are very aware of it, because it's such a ubiquitous and common food in all cultures. Because it's basically, it's... Starch and cheese? (laughs) All all cultures have, like, starch with leftovers on top.
1: (laughs) And sauce vehicle.
0: Um, it turns out that's what pizza is and that's just ubiquitous across all cultures. So it's a very human experience. The other thing is you don't have to get like the super nice, nice pizza, but you shouldn't get the pizza that's gonna send people to the bathroom for the rest of the day. (laughs) You know what I mean. Sabotage. In the United States we use dominoes, okay? It's acceptable. It's not fancy, but it's acceptable. I think they have
2: dominoes here? I'm not positive.
0: But, but something of Domino's quality level is what you're looking for. You're looking for cheap enough to save my wallet, expensive enough to not kill my players.
2: Noted. But health is important.
0: <laughs> you have a very small bar to cross over there on the bottom end. <laughs> the, the other thing is, um, it's really easy to order vegetarian options for pizza. So it's like, hey, we do vegetarian, not vegan, but vegetarian. We have some vegetarian options. If you have special food requirements, please let us know and we'll figure you out. And then you buy a couple liters of soda, and you're done. It's not complicated.
2: I think that's a, a great idea. And I know that the store is okay with food delivery, just because that's something that people do all the time. They order pizzas there and take out yeah. their sandwiches.
0: So uh, so basically, you, I, I would tell the score ahead of time, I plan to order food for the tournament. And the cool thing is you can order the food once you figure out how many people there are in the round and have it set to be delivered about excuse me, 50 minutes before the first round's over, because you can order this right away. And and the cool thing about that is you get there and you bring the pizza in, and you can have that all set up on a little side table or something so that people can just go and eat, right?
2: Maybe the smell entices them to finish on time.
0: Yes. Another thing you're going to have to do at your tournament is definitely a hard dice down. Yes. You don't have time to not play the hard dice down game. And that's just a general courtesy. It's just you just let people like when when we call dice down, the dice go down. There is no anything else, and you've got like five minutes to sort out the rest of your stuff, like verbally with your opponent. At that point, I actually keep a set of alarms and timers on my phone so that I can tell people when an hour's elapsed, when they have thirty minutes left, you know, and give them all the appropriate warnings. Mm-hmm. That's a trick I learned the hard way but I advise doing because just like here set timers for yourself so you don't have to remember to call time you know to call time at time. Yes because you especially because you have to be running on time so it's like you'll have to deal with some delays. It turns out the very first tournament you run there's gonna be just turn on delays so
2: the first time you start up BCP the first time you try and start around.
0: Well, there's usually not trouble running turn PCB tournaments of the size you're talking about, but it's more like someone's going to come in 10 minutes late. Someone's going to just be distracted by the shiny, Someone's going to be blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and the reality is they're out of the habit of coming in and trying to be efficient to make the tournament run. So you're going to lose time, which is unfortunate. Your runs going to be two and a half hours, right? Yeah, you might have to more realistically run your hours rounds as more like two hours and twenty minutes, which sucks, but we'll
2: make sure that you're not. Yeah,
0: that might be what you have to do to basically make time work with the delay that you're expecting, because you can totally expect a half hour delay. That's super reasonable. Unfortunately, I I tell my people to be there at nine nine thirty, and the people aren't actually there till ten usually, so. <laughs> That's very common. So what you can actually say is, hey, get there at like 9.15 and we'll just all wait for the doors to open together. Because you can do outside, like the here's the thing, here's the packet, and answer all the ICC questions while waiting for the store to open. Because you don't need that to be open. It's awkward, but you're basically buying yourself some time to do pre-tournament announcements that way.
2: The way the schedule is currently set up, the store doors open at 10, Mm -hmm. player briefing, 10.20 game starts 10:30 so it's 20 minutes for people to unpack register at the front.
0: Okay okay, so you do actually have that built-in schedule that's good. but you're basically like the other thing you can put out is just said hey if you've never played the ITC missions before, I'm available for pickup games to help you with this and teach you how to play them mm. or or have a few members of your community be willing to do that like here's a list of people you can contact for this. Because now you've opened up a resource and now people are like, Oh, I don't know these missions. Well, I can go learn these missions before I walk in so I don't feel like a fool. Hmm. That's a nice idea. Yeah. If you're demonstrating that you want the event to be successful and that you want the players to succeed, they're going to be thrilled about it. But yeah, no, as I said, pizza's really great because it's simple. The other thing, you can order things like sandwiches for takeout as well, but that can be a little more expensive.
2: And tricky with different kinds of meat. So on so forth.
0: Yeah, exactly. So it's like pizza's pretty simple. It's like and you, and you just put a little caveat of hey, here's our, here's our tournament email. Contact us if you need anything special. As I said, one of the players in my local area is allergic to pork, so he really needs me to bring a vegetarian option. <coughs> that's that's all. It's not complicated. Uh, I order, I count heads, and then I'm like, all right, I order two slices per person. And I assume a pizza has between eight and four. Basically, a person gets a quarter of a pizza. So it's like, all right, if I have 12 people, including relevant other humans, such as the TO and the person at the game store, (laughs) that would be a total... I
2: think we'll have to rescale this for Australian pizza size. I'm pretty sure every pizza shop in Australia has the same pizza oven that you get from the equivalent of Home Depot, and it makes, like, 12-inch diameter pizzas. They're, like, adorable personal pizza-sized.
0: Ah, okay. You're definitely going to have to sort that out. I'm talking about, like, the 12- to 16-inch American diameter. We're talking the largest and mediums over here is what I use. I order medium pizzas, and... I basically order uh, one per, per, per four people is a good way to look at it. And then I order an extra one because these are dudes and they will most certainly consume it. I count on men to have bottomless pits of stomachs. <laughs> because basically you don't want to be spending more than $5 a head on the pizza. Okay. And you do it that way and it's like, yeah, I'm not providing a ton of food. And if, for example, someone notices that that's not enough food for them you can, uh, especially since you have someone who's TOing, can go run and grab a snack for them in the middle of the match or something. Like, you can have some snacks in the back if you need to pull them out for those people. Mm-hmm. Mostly because, as I said, you don't know how much pizza to order yet, so it's possible you can mess that up.
2: Yeah, trial and error.
0: And I don't mean that in a bad way, but it's more like, it's possible. Um, or you can just a little over-order, and then you can offer to take some pizza home at the end, so...
2: Oh, I think that could be arranged.
0: There's two different schools of thought there. One is like order order it streamlined version and see if you got it right, and have some snacks to cover you, or over order and you'll know what to do to optimize it next time. <laughs> <laughs> it's a relatively intuitive process ordering pizza for a lot of people. Yeah, that that's pretty simple. The last thing I was actually I forgot to go back with the soft score thing was we do a lore set- setup in our events. And it's just player voted.
1: Oh, um.
2: A lore setup?
0: Yeah. We score lore.
2: What does that mean? Like a display board?
0: The fluff. Whatever your army's fluff is.
2: Oh, so people have like little writing or like
1: little...
0: Yeah. Hmm. So, and sometimes people like put in little sculptures and stuff. So, And I've discovered like the more creative you get with it, the more likely you're going to win your lore prize. Like someone submitted a cigar with a little note attached to it that said like, this was a relic of this battle circa blah, blah, blah. and he won the best lore prize because he had this cigar that was part of this army story and people thought that was super cool (laughs) yeah cute And, and the lore prize is uh is as i said it's just it's just like hey you know we acknowledge that the fluff is part of the experience too and that's really important to some people even competitive people like their fluff so that was admittedly we were aiming to run very specific type event like we're running casual casual casual-ish more events because that's what's mostly in our area are casual players so we're catering to them and we run things that are non-standard like every other event we run is non-standard on purpose because we it's like okay here's here we are feeding the competitive players and here we are feeding just the people who show up yeah because there are there will be those too. Some people are like, I just want to play in a tournament this weekend. I'm a go.
2: Just want to roll some dice.
0: I just want to roll some dice and play some games with some cool people. It turns out a majority of the players you have will be in the kind of from the rankings episodes we just did in the rank 1 and rank 2 category. That's literally 98% of 40k players fall into those two categories. It's completely normal.
2: Yeah, it's a it will, I think be an interesting combination just cuz there are so few tournaments in In Australia in general, in the past, we will have people drive down from Sydney for these little silly white RTTs because they know it's an RTT. They can come in as they're like probably tier three and just wipe and it's a tricky balance.
0: So uh, that's why you said that's why you need to say, hey, we're doing the kind of conduct. If you're having those more competitive players come in to snap ITC points, which is totally possible. As you said, there's not a lot of events in Australia. They'll nab what they can. Just just keep an extra eye on them to make sure they are giving their opponents a good experience.
2: Yeah, I think that's probably the thing I'm most nervous about, and why I'm glad I won't be toing the first one of these. I think it will be an educational experience to see how Oliver interacts with the you know more ultra competitive subset of the tournament attendees. I I just don't know if. I, I'm nervous about having to lay down the law. Yeah. I wouldn't say I'm a confrontation loving person. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't think anybody is, really.
2: Oh, I beg to differ.
0: <laughs> Here's a bit of advice I'll just like Have you two go in as co TOs. Make it really obvious that you're doing this together. Like, have you shared the announcements and stuff? Because you want to establish that you have authority in this matter from the beginning. Hmm.
2: That is a very good idea.
0: Especially some things you've told me about the Australian meta is, like, basically having it look like, okay, Eleanor's setting this all up, Oliver's going to do the TO in this round because she really, really wants to play today. Have that be the impression they're left with, so that they can feel like the woman is in charge, and that they have to, like, get over their panties about it, or whatever the guy needs to do.
2: At <laughs> least get them used to the idea.
0: Yeah. yeah. Having you handle the announcements or at least part of them, right? Because he is running the event, so he should have some established thorme and should be doing some of that. But basically, if you share the burden of it, it will help you look like a team, and that's what we do here. It's just, technically, we made me the head face because we're like, hey, let's make a woman the head face because we want to really make sure people know not to be jackasses.
2: Yeah. Some way to it.
0: There is a probability that there will be some tomfoolery at your event and the thing you got to do is even if it's not comfortable for you if you don't take the confrontation step you're going to be hurting the community
2: i truly believe that i think it is really important to if you have a policy to enact that policy when it's Mm -hmm. broken in the fullest extent Yes. I think there's too many events where it's like, Oh, we said we'd do this, but he's just a really important part of our community. Yeah. So we're gonna let it slide. And it's like, okay, well what is the message you're telling to all of your other attendees that they aren't important members of the community.
0: Yeah and maybe you get some yellow and red post its and if a guy is being bad you like you write out your reason and you slap a yellow post it on him and said, There's your yellow card, you get to carry that for the rest of the tournament.
2: <laughs> I like that, the sort of Scarlet A yellow card.
0: Yes, Scarlet A yellow card, yes, yes. Admittedly, you don't want to come off as the assholes of the event, but basically, like, just use the conduct code. Basically, like, if people are violating the conduct code, hold them to the standards of it. And if you see players getting heated, you need to kind of come over and say, hey, what's going on here? I, things are getting excited over here. What's What's happening, right? Because sometimes just the judge walking over and inquiring can diffuse the situation because now there's an outsider involved in the middle of their argument and they don't know what to do about Or
2: oh, they have to explain themselves and it sounds really lame when they repeat it out loud.
0: Yeah. So coming at it from a, hey, I'd like to be informed of the situation and a, how can I help you guys? Circumstance, especially the word help, mm. is really good for diffusing things. Like, hey, it sounds like you two need some help. How can I help both of you? I want you both to have a good experience. How can I help you get there?
2: Yes, that is so charming and helpful.
0: Exactly. So it's like, I'm coming in to help, and suddenly it's like, well, my intentions are good and kind, and they just can't keep their anger going. So that's an observation I have there. But the thing is, most people, like, if you put out the code of conduct in advance and just say, hey, we're agreeing to all be not jerks here, (laughs) <laughs> A lot of people are like, oh, okay, I won't pull that crap. Uh This is something Josh has been learning traveling to tournaments. The people who use the ITC Code of Conduct usually have less drama at their events.
1: We will be
2: using the ITC Code of Conduct that is in the player's pack, and I think we're trying to do the LVL list submission, yellow card if it's not in type thing.
0: Yeah. So here's what I would do is as long as their list is legible, don't give them a yellow card. If they do full BT- BCP output, give them a yellow card. <laughs> but, um, because that's fucking dumb for everybody.
2: Oh, like, and if they don't submit their list.
0: And if they don't submit their list, they get a yellow card as well. So doing both of those things go a long way. It's basically like you give them a verbal warning rather than a yellow card if they didn't do the proper format, but they still gave you a legible list. Like, hey, we really need you guys to do this time. So that's like an example of something that's like reasonable slack for, you know, you're just starting up the tournament, you're not punishing people for it. It's like, thank you for being eligible list. That's mostly what we asked you to do. We prefer this format. Please use that next time.
2: I think it will, this will at least be a little bit easier, mostly because it is standard at every tournament I've been to in Australia to submit your list mm. two weeks, usually before the tournament starts, if not more.
0: Okay, yeah. So you got two weeks in advance, and if someone has it in the wrong format, you can send them a polite email. Hey, you need to submit it in this format. This is your reminder. You have uh, you have till this date to fix it, and give them like four days to fix it, or basically be like, well, you got to get it fixed today because the tournament starts tomorrow, and if it's not fixed by tomorrow morning, you're in trouble.
1: <laughs> Big trouble.
0: Because I do believe BCP, at least on the Apple version, does let you wait to show the lists.
2: Yes, I have discovered this button on the iPad.
0: Yes, so I would actually advise holding the list and just say, like, hey, we're basically going to correct lists in advance and stuff, and this lets you and your husband go over and make sure they're all legal and such. Just kind of go, does that all add up? Yes. Guess if you build something in BCP, it'll basically tell—or not BCP, BattleScribe—it'll basically tell you well it adds up correctly, even if you're not familiar with the army. Right. So it's like, all right, I can check to see if it adds up correctly. Okay, it's adding up correctly. Ah, uh, these are the types of units they are. Gotcha. I do know that for a while, there the brand new Primaris Scout creature units
2: were put in the elite slot rather than the troop slot. Yeah, there's a couple of annoying things that BattleScribe hasn't managed to fix in the last six months that could come up
0: yeah you're like well and with the newer releases you can give people some slack you're like "Ah," you either have the book or you don't so but a lot of people are aware of the battle scribe failings there so it's just a matter of checking that and that that's just what i would do is basically be like all right here's the deal, lists are submitted two weeks in advance, Uh, we'll contact you if there's any corrections needed you have until the week in advance to get those corrected, and then we turn the lists live. Makes sense. For people to view, and they're locked in. So that way it's like, well, everyone gets the same shot at looking over the lists, and if there is a notable, like, illegality flag that pops up that you guys missed, it gives your players an opportunity to find that. And fix it for... So you guys can get all of that drama over with before the tournament?
2: Yeah, I think for a tournament this size, it's easy to do myself or with Oliver. Often for the bigger tournaments, GTs, they'll make list checking groups. And so everybody's list gets uploaded onto this group. And then the the crowdsourced list checking by everybody who's participating in the tournament, which is nice because 10 eyes on something is much better than two eyes
1: on something.
0: Yes. Because uh, you're probably going to make a Facebook for a friend, so when you're doing the list checking, you can shoot a picture of, like, you sitting there with a codex and the list and kind of going over it just as, we're list checking now. <laughs> Heart or something like that.
1: Prepare
0: yourself. Yeah, no, well, and if you do, pic- like, show them pictures of the prep your guys do- are doing and things like that, it can cause a little bit of excitement and a little bit of kind of, hey, 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 right? Uh, and the other thing it does is if you have physical photos of you showing that you're doing the TO work, that's going to buy you some respect from the community. Just right there. It's like, all right, you're doing work, and now they can see you're doing work. For both you and your husband, that's beneficial because ne- neither of you have had the leadership role in the community before. So, And there is a somewhat established community, so demonstrating that you guys can do it is actually just in your favor. Yeah. It's not complicated, but it's like the little things you got to manage with tournaments.
2: Yeah, I think this has actually been a very refreshing...
0: Expect there to be some problems. Something will... First time you're doing it, expect there to be some problems. Um, and just say, hey, this is our first time doing this. We want you to try to have a smooth streamlined experience, but this is our first time doing this, so we're, we're going to see what happens. We don't know how realistic this is. But we're going to learn. And I don't know about the how frequent chess clocks are in your area at all or if the store even has them like if the store does warm a hordes they probably actually have chess clocks
2: yeah the the store has i think three chess clocks that we can use i wrote in the players pack people can bring their own mm-hmm. i talked with somebody about this idea of if one person wants a chess clock the table has to use it which they refer to as one consent, which I did not like that phrase at all. Uh, but I'm not opposed to chess clocks, and I think it's fun.
0: The way I do it, because actually haul chess clocks tournaments to help keep my games on time, is just say, this is a tool for getting your games done on time. If your opponent is using one, you're held to it.
2: Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I do like the use of the chess clocks. The phrase one-sided consent was just by words was a phrase that didn't make sense
0: you and i both have problems with that for the same reason (laughs) (laughs) i suspect (laughs) um so just say that to alleviate any concerns on timely play if uh if a person calls for a chess clock we will bring one to the table easy enough just like that it's that's more neutral it's basically like yeah, it only takes one player to summon the chess clock, but it's basically like, if there's any concerns, or blah, 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 the TO may also assign you to play with a chess clock.
1: Hmm.
0: And you can just write that also in the event thing. Because that gives them the impression of, okay, the tournament organizer does actually have authority here, if you...
2: We mean business.
0: Yeah, and that's part of what the sportsmanship uh, questionnaire is good for, is you can keep track of who's been getting what kind of scores on there, like... Did we finish the game on time? If someone's repeatedly getting no's on that, they might be assigned a chess clock. It's actually a metric for, like, figuring out, and it's like, Larry always forgets his shit, so you send Larry an email, hey, Larry, remember your shit today, please. <laughs> you know.
2: Come on, Larry.
0: That That's an example, right? And that's why we do that sportsmanship metric, and why I actually keep track of people over time, because I can watch people improve. And the things I'm asking them to do are not super complicated on the five questions, but you'll be surprised how many people fail those.
2: Keep expectations low.
0: Yeah. Here's our little sportsmanship score questioning, and that's basically to protect the lower tier players. That's what that's for. But as I said, the Code of Conduct also does that, and it's basically like, well, we have the set consequences thing. There is a group, the ITC Organizers Facebook group, which is private but I can get you uh, a link to that, and you can ask for an invite and just say, hey, I'm running tournaments out of blank. And then what that's cool for is you can start asking about rule ruling questions for some really weird niche cases the FAQs haven't gotten to yet.
2: <laughs> Seems very useful.
0: And that's how I knew things like the LVO rulings in advance is because they posted them all there. Makes sense. So it's a really useful group great resource for just asking the questions you've been asking me
2: awesome yeah that seems really helpful
0: yeah and I I know I've been talking a lot but I'm basically here to tell you how I run things which is helpful for someone who doesn't know how to run things
2: (laughs) it is and it's refreshing because I think that maybe initially I came into this as like I want some competitive ITC events in the area Mm mm-hmm but I think this has at least helped me reframe that into a more community-oriented goal. <laughs> yeah.
0: Your desire is you want to have more competitive stuff in the area, and you also have to make sure the community is actually supporting that. Yeah. So you will have a majority of casual players at your event, so it's important to know that. I suspect it'll be okay. It'll be awesome, and people will like it. And it's just more of, you just gotta get the ball rolling. The other suggestion I have is I like to run charity events, and there's a couple of reasons I do that. It is partly it actually helps keep people's blood pressure down. Right. Because you're there for a good reason, so you're doing good things, so you're not inclined to be a bad person.
2: <laughs> yeah, it certainly puts a tone for the weekend.
0: Yeah, it's like, oh, this is a charity event, so we're trying to raise some money for charity. Um, So that's a matter of talking with, the again, your venue in this case to confirm that you can do that and you can take some of the ticket sales and send them aside to raise some charity money. Because I know a lot of what they do is they funnel the prize support into from the ticket sales, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: which is completely acceptable. But you're like, hey, I'd like to use some of this for a charity donation. Can we work it out? Um, but that's between you and the store.
2: Interesting. Food for thought.
0: But it also means that you might be able to get some other sponsorships from other places. Australia is a hard place to shit get stuff shipped to, but... <laughs> oh,
2: I know. <laughs> oh, our wallets, know.
0: Yeah, your wallets definitely know, but maybe you can sit there and basically be like, all right, well... We saved up a bit of money. We're gonna have we're gonna talk to one of our local painters, and we've got this imperial like these two armingers that we got pretty cheaply, and inquire if something can be done, and have them paint them up, and basically like auction those off, so to speak, or something. <coughs> kind of silent auction style if they're nicely painted. That's an example of something you can do.
1: Cool.
0: In my case, we literally cut half the ticket price. It's like. There is, what's Uh half the ticket goes to charity. The other half the ticket goes into the club for buying new terrain stuff, because we're a club as opposed to a store, so we have to provide our own terrain. So that's kind of like, here's the funds for that. And then the next thing we do is we also, like, use some of that money to pay for the pizza. Which is a really sensible thing to do, and talking to, again, the store about it, just saying, hey, we're basically allotting five bucks for pizza. That Okay that going to be a problem for you guys?
2: I think that's totally reasonable.
0: Yeah. Also, we'll give you pizza to <laughs> whoever's running the thing. Like, if you'd like some pizza, we can give you some pizza. Uh, also, remember napkins and plates?
2: Oh, goodness, yes.
0: And cups?
2: It would be just tragic to get pizza grease all over some of the pretty train pieces.
0: Yeah. So definitely make sure you have that kind of resource for the players because I went to an event where they ordered pizza and finger food and they didn't bring any, like, vehicles for it. We had to get really creative to eat the food. (laughs) Because there were no napkins, there were no plates, and I'm like, just just don't do that! (laughs) Yikes. Let someone else be the morning there. (laughs) The other thing is, like, you know, go in with a lot of enthusiasm and energy and people will, like, kind of pick up on that.
2: Yeah, I think it's... Important to set the tone.
0: Yeah. That is kind of what TOs do is TOs are, are leaders within the community, so that is what you're signing up for, and that's not something everyone realizes when you sign up to be a TO is that you've become a community leader. Things we talk about on the main podcast is I say, Hey, go talk to the TOs to see what's going on. Well, this is why. Is because the TOs have gotten become this resource for better or worse. And that's really, really good, and I think it would be really good for Australia in general if you became a TO and became a face in the TOing community, because that's going to set a different tone for Australia, in a sense. It's like, oh, I went to this RTT and a woman was running it, and she told me I wasn't allowed to bring porno rind raiders anymore. Huh. I guess I shouldn't do that. Oh my god. (laughs) You know
2: what I mean. Too real. Too real.
0: But you, you don't have to say that. The presence of you doing that will make certain people hesitate to do stupid stuff like that, oddly enough. Usually. Usually. So I, I'm just going to throw that out. So that that's definitely a thing. And basically, if you're nice and you're reasonable, but you do, you know, fair, is basically a huge thing you're going for here, is you want to be fair. If you're going to call a uh, conduct violation... Your husband might pull you out of the game so the two of you can discuss it for a little bit, basically have a judge's discussion and then make a ruling. And that would definitely be a thing. And that is something you need to tell your opponents at the beginning of your rounds personally. It just says, hey, I'm co-doing with my husband. He might need to pull me out for some stuff. And if I get pulled out too much, I'm basically going to just forfeit the game to you. Because I don't want you to feel that me not being here is a cause for win or loss.
2: It's a very, very adult responsible way of handling it.
0: Yeah, and that's just what I tell my my opponents when I'm TOing. It just says, "Hey, I'm the TO, so if I need to step out and deal with things, which is entirely possible and has happened, and it happens frequently enough, I just forfeit the game because your victory should not be contingent on my ability to run the tournament."
1: Yeah,
0: uh, I want to give you a good game, but you know I got these other responsibilities, so just just know I might have to do it, and if and if I can't give you a good game, I will forfeit the game. It doesn't matter what the score was beforehand. And I actually had to do that once, and my opponent was very startled because um, I had been thoroughly trouncing him, and I forfeited because I had ran away from his game three times.
2: I'm sure he wasn't upset.
0: No, he wasn't upset. He was just, he was more like, no, 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 you won the game. He was insisting I took the victory, and I looked him in the eye, and I said, no, I promised you at the beginning I'd do this. And I'm holding myself to my word.
2: A very important quality.
0: Also, I'm the one with the TO app, so you don't get to decide.
2: <laughs> That's also true.
0: Um, I pointed that out, and he was like, no, I said, actually, this isn't optional for you. <laughs> you get to <laughs> <work>. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm making you win this game. <laughs> and have, like, your idea of what you write a, a tie is in advance. That's something you need to also think about, like... Or not a tie, uh... When you have an odd number of player, and you have a person who's playing nobody.
2: A buy.
0: A buy, yes. I couldn't remember the word. What I do for Bice is I give them 20-point victories. Yep. Just middle of the pack, nothing special there. Uh, so that's a thing to know and remember. And we're right about at our hour mark now. So, do you have any last questions for me before we tie off the episode?
2: No, this has been quite comprehensive.
0: <laughs> I, I do this a lot. I have a system now.
2: Yeah, I can tell you had a really thorough and thoughtful progression of items to stuff top your head.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So um basically, I you know, I know you, Eleanor, and I can tell you right now, you are up to the challenge. Your husband's up to the challenge. You two are going to make a great team doing that. And it's no shame in having a team. I like having two people do it. So uh this episode will share a link to um said score sheets I was alluding to with the questions and the painting questioner. Anyone is welcome to use them in advance. I think they are a great system and I enjoy them personally, partly because I helped build them. <laughs>
2: No shame. I'm excited.
0: Yeah. So, and as a follow-up, Eleanor, when you actually do get your event running and stuff, and you got some links for that, we'll throw that out for people to go investigate.
2: Oh, I do. I have a BCP link and a Facebook event link.
0: Excellent. Those will also be part of the episodes. You can find those in the show notes. Go check it out. Um, Support Eleanor's community if you're in the area, and I'm certain it's going to be a fantastic experience, partly because she's mentally prepared for what she's signing up for now
1: <laughs>
2: we have a good group of gamers in camera as well so it will be fun no matter what
0: yeah exactly you're gonna go chuck dice with your friends for a couple of for a day go have fun guys that's the important thing number one rule is have fun oh there's one last thing so the very front page of your tournament packet is often the one people are most likely to read so that's where i put the schedule um and that's where i write things like we are using the itc code of conduct here because, as I said, they're most likely to read that page, so you want to really make sure that page has everything you really have to know on it.
1: Noted. Okay.
2: I'll make sure that easily consumable must-knows are on
1: the front page.
0: Yep. Lazy people only read the first page of the packet, so you got to cater to the lazies.
1: <laughs> Makes sense.
0: Um, i just say, the code of conduct is here, you can look for it. A cool thing you can do is you can get one of those little cell phone links where you take the picture and it sends you to a link on the internet. You can have that link them to the code of conduct. Mm. If you wanted to be super fancy and tech savvy.
2: That is very fancy. I just was, I included links. It's a Google Doc that people can click on, but. Yes. I suppose having a printout is probably the smart thing.
0: Yeah, because you'll, you'll want to print those out. Um, another trick is. And this is a little overhead cost, but this is fantastic because we got these at one of my events and we use the crap out of these. Get the ITC score sheet, like just the, the part with the primary, the secondary, and the missions and stuff. Get a the couple of those printed out, laminate them, and get some dry erase markers and h- distribute those as grab prizes for your tournament.
2: I think that's such a brilliant idea.
0: Yeah. And then in your packet, you have an area where people can record what the scores were for themselves if they need that. Very useful. And just, if they leave that page blank, you can reuse it in the next packet. Easy. Save some paper. I'm always
2: keen to do that.
0: That's all the things to consider there. Um, I think just running a basic, trying to repeat what had been there is a, is a good call. And, um, but maybe the 1500 points being the only concession just so you guys have a little more, buy a little more round time for yourselves effectively. I think people will be okay-ish with the idea. It's like, oh, yeah, things are a little cramped. We're just lowering the round sizes so things are a little less cramped for everyone because we haven't done this before and we don't want to cramp people right now.
2: Yeah, it's a it's a tricky question. Because I, I really think that making it a turn six, it's a whole different game.
0: It, it super is. It really, really is. And the thing is, it's like, well... We're trying to encourage it the best we can and one of the things we are doing is just getting rid of models in your army. I'm sorry, but that is that is a way to get rid of to speed things up. It does work.
2: Yeah, I just thinking of the armies that would tend to be winning turns 1 through 3, but maybe not 4 through 6s.
0: Yeah. So that's just a just a minder there. That said, uh have a good time. I mean, uh it's always good to refresh yourself on codexes and stuff, just kind of like skim through. Like, for example, most people know what a Dark Reaper does. Just reread the rule so you remember what it does, you know.
2: Popular units that are likely to be seen. It's a good idea.
0: Yeah, especially since you're a TO and you'll have the lists in advance, you can reread the relative data sheets. Good point. And FAQs and stuff and just basically make sure, like, shunt's actually a remarkably complicated rule and it never comes up unless someone brought interceptors, so...
2: (laughs) I don't know if we have any Green Knight players.
0: I know we talk about Shunt because it's a really powerful, cool rule, but it's not in every codex. But every codex has its own version of Shunt.
1: Hmm.
0: As far as rule complexity and game bending, it does. So you gotta look for it and find it. That's just basically it. Um, Going with the enthusiasm and stuff, and even if you kinda get, even if things are ch- clunky and chunky and not perfect the first time, you're gonna learn and give them a much better second round.
2: Yes, practice makes perfect.
0: Exactly. This is a skill. You're going to level it up. Right now you're at level zero, and you're going to be level one by the end, and it might be a little painful, but you'll do it. I have faith in you guys. So we'll be very excited to see how the event goes, and maybe we'll have you back, and you can tell me about how your first experience went.
2: That sounds awesome. Thank you so much for everything. This has been enormously
0: useful. This has been an Indivisdinar crosstalk. Featuring Shaylen Allen and
2: Ellen Weiler.
0: All right, so we'll have a, we'll have a repeat, a follow up episode on this one because it's secretly a two parter in which we get to hear how the event went.
1: Suspense. Yay.